Our series is called Life in the Spirit. Now, think about that title when you think about the question, can a true believer ever be lost? Let's talk about it next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Final look at our series called Life in the Spirit. And indeed, if we understand that life, we understand that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that seal is unbreakable. It can't be broke. Hence, it gives us a good answer to the question, can a true believer ever be lost? Well, if the Spirit of God is residing in us, it gives us a pretty good indication to the answer, right? Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. It's our final look at our series, Life in the Spirit. Join us. Here's Pastor Phil. The new birth, Jesus expected Nicodemus to understand what he was talking about. Nicodemus, I'm talking to you about things that even the Old Testament described, and you being a rabbi, you don't know this stuff? Why don't you know it? What did Jesus expect him to know? That when Messiah would come, there would be a new covenant God would make with Israel, not like the old one he made under Moses, that they failed miserably and wound up in exile. But there's coming a day, Israel, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And you get these quotes in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now, here's something that's interesting. Growing up with my roots, that makes a sharp distinction between Israel, national, physical Israel, and the church. I don't rob Israel of all of her promises and make them the churches. God's got a future for Israel, Romans 11. But it's interesting. When it comes to the salvation content that I get as a believer... There's some way I am drinking the cup in rejoicing in a new covenant that some way I'm participating in some of those new covenant promises. And I think it's the salvation. I haven't got the land yet. I don't have a king in Mount Zion yet. But I've been given those spiritual transformations that Jeremiah and Ezekiel said that would happen to the heart of Israel, that God would circumcise their heart. He'd cut off all the excess, ceremonialism and ritualism, and he'd give them a new heart. And listen to these promises. And the reason I say this is Hebrews 8, he applies Jeremiah and the new covenant to the saints he's talking to in Hebrews 8. He drags it right over. So we're not just stealing from Old Testament promises to Israel. The salvation interchange comes over, as I understand it, in the new birth, so that you're born again by water and spirit. What does that mean? The water is the cleansing effect that he promised in Ezekiel. I'm going to wash you. What does Titus 3, 5 says? You've been born, you've been washed in the washing of regeneration. I wash you when I save you. I wash all the gunk out of you. Listen to what he said. Look at Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. Now, now, come on, you know, hear me. 
You've got to interpret this. Do you think God's just going to sprinkle water? And that's what he's saying. Come up here. Let me sprinkle water on you. That just cleanses you. Is that what he's saying? No, 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 no. This is a figure of speech. As someone was cleansed with water, I'm going to move inside of your heart and do this cleansing. Watch this. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit. There's that word spirit, small s. A new attitude, something new in the inner man. Connect it with a new, I will put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart. I, I will take the heart, heart out. I don't know why we got the flesh, that's wrong. I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I want to remove the stony heart. I'm going to remove the obstinates. And I'm going to give you a heart that's new, that's a flesh, that will pursue me. Then he goes down in Jeremiah. And you'll have to look these up later. Listen to what he said. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. What's he doing? Instead of the law being outside of me, I'm going to put it in you. It's going to be your internal motivation and nature. It won't be just thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou, all this external. I'm going to write it in your inner being. From your inner being, you're going to want to please me. I'm going to change your nature. I want to, how strong can you, I want to give you a new heart. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear for their own good and the good of their, put the, their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I want to say this, what I think we have forgotten. We have failed to teach how radical God changes somebody that he saves. He gives us a new heart. A new heart. A new internal spirit and disposition that hungers for righteousness. That, that craves the word of God like a baby craves milk. And we don't even talk this way because we've got all these professions out here. No hunger for the word. Never been baptized is the first. That's why the early church says, when did you get baptized? You know why it was so important? It was the fat first act of external obedience by which you would do it. And it may cost you everything. Because if you were a Jew saved in the book of Acts, you could be excluded from the synagogue, maybe from the family. So it was no light thing to go public and be baptized. I ask believers, I say, when have you been baptized? I haven't. I'm praying about it. There's nothing to pray about. When are you going to obey? If you haven't been baptized, we don't know that you're a Christian. I really shouldn't call you a Christian. And baptism does not save. We know that. But you see, Saving faith. The first thing you want to do once you become a believer is, what do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to act? Well, well who told you this stuff? I, I don't know, but I now love the things I hated. Maybe you don't. If you don't have a new heart, you wouldn't have a new appetite. See, I was saved as a teenager. Why would a teenager want to go to Tuesday night church? 
We went to church Tuesday night. That was Bible study night. We went Thursday night, and that was young people's night. And when we went, the service started at 7. The prayer meeting was at 6. Now, I'm 15, okay? 14 when I was saved. I backslid, you know, six months over rock and roll. That's where I played the guitar once in a while, just to work it out. But I'm back at 15. But I'm in Bible studies, and we were going through Exodus with my dad, who didn't know how to teach. He just loved the Word, but he was not trained. He was an iron worker. But that was Tuesday night Bible study. About 30 of us. Thursday night, youth group. Sunday morning, Sunday night, I couldn't get enough. I was crazy. I see some of you, you're bored just making it Sunday. We're down to one service a week, and it's still a strain. You know why? Maybe you're just checking off the points. You don't have that thirst. I was in Carolina, back with my daughter. I got so hungry to go to church. I went up and looked up the local black church. The parking lot was full at 12.30 in the afternoon. I said, oh, they'll meet tonight. I want to go to church tonight. I want to hear a man preach. Well, I got there. They never got out to 1.30 because they were still shouting when I got there. They were having a great time. But they said, well, we don't meet tonight. I said, why not? I, I want to be in church tonight. Hey, you're on vacation. What do you want to go to church for? You're not even on the payroll. You don't have to. You're taking a break. I'm not saying this to look good. I'm saying I got an appetite to be where the name is praised, where people love God. There's nothing like it. The new birth changes something in your inside so that uh, you can't get enough of this God. And it cleanses you. It gives you a new spirit, a new heart. And one of the great tragedies of our day is, uh, do we have the right to tell anybody they're not a Christian? Are we legalists to expect them to act different? No, we're biblicists. Where is the proof of your faith? Where is the evidence? And 1 John is full of it, and he's writing on what born-again people look like. And so, we must say, we are often accused, those of us who teach God's keeping, and that you cannot lose your salvation, we are often accused of saying, so you people say you can live like the devil and still go to heaven. No, if we say that, we're wrong. We're saying once this gift of faith is exercised and this new birth is put in you, if you're an authentic child of God, appetites will change, eyes will change, vocabulary will change, how you view people will change, because God gives you a new heart, not a reconditioned heart, a new heart. It's born again. You say, well, I still hate certain people. Well, it just tells me you don't know God. You can't know God and hate people, can you? First John says you can't. Who do I believe, God or you? Believe God. I can't stand this group. I can't stand that. Get over it. They can't stand you, but they're unsaved. You're supposed to be a Christian bringing light, right? We make a difference, don't we? We bring a different attitude, a different heart, because we serve the living God, and he's about to change how everything will function on this earth when he sets up his kingdom. 
What a day that will be. Well, amen. Let me complete the uh, 50-week series by warnings. Uh, number one, uh, there is the danger of professing faith without a changed life. And I've said enough on that. But if you read Matthew 7, at the end of Christ's teaching on the kind of righteousness that makes up his followers, he said there's two kinds of people. The one who builds on sand, the one who builds on the rock. The sand builder hears my teaching but does not do, do it. So that, his house will fall. He doesn't know me. The one who builds on the rock hears what I say and obeys what I say. This is the man on the rock. And in that same chapter, he talks about fruit born in the heart. Isaiah warned of people who would give lip service about God, draw nigh to God with their mouth, but their heart be far from him. I'm reading Jeremiah now, and Jeremiah 7 upbraids them at the temple. They're going through the temple exercise, keeping the Sabbath with all this stuff. And he says, you're all a bunch of rebels. You're charging usury. You're ripping off the poor. You're like, you're a bunch of phonies. You, matter of fact, Malachi said you ought to turn off the lights at the temple because you're all hypocrites. You're bringing lame lambs, diseased animals. You're going through the religious routine, but you're a thousand miles from God. And what a danger today. People who are professing to know God, but do not know him. They're playing the game. And I tell you, you want to know that you know him. You could be the pastor and not know God. You could be on the board and not know God. The church world is full of unregenerate men handing out book reports every weekend and an update on Obama that don't know any updates on Jesus because they're not saved. Why should we be surprised for Satan's ministers will appear as angels of light. Be not deceived. They look smooth. They look shiny. They look holy, but they are of the devil. If any man come to you not bringing this teaching and does not say that Jesus came in the flesh and is the Son of God, is Antichrist. And there will be many Antichrists as there are now. But greater is he that's in the elect born child of God so that even, it says in Matthew 24, that even the elect would be deceived if it were possible. When Antichrist comes parading into history to set up his man of sin, even the elect on the earth will be nearly by it, but God will preserve them because he does something in his people to keep them from being deceived. Greater is he that's in me than the deceiving Antichrist in the world. We are different. We are saved. We are chosen. We are predestined. We've been called. We've been justified. We will be glorified. God's got his hand on us. We're not smarter. We're not better. We're not better looking. We're not of a better race, a better ethnicity. We have just found grace in the sight of the Lord and how we need to rejoice. Just grace, grace, grace. No matter what you are, background, the grace of God that would change your heart and give you an appetite to know God. This is a divine word. This is a new birth. Well, 
I'm trying to get worked up about it. I don't have time. As I, in the whole sermon, I don't have time. I'm just throwing this stuff at you. But the danger of short-lived faith, it's very dangerous when you read the four soils that some receive the word of God with great joy and they sprout up immediately and we start applauding. They're in the family and the trials come and they wilt. You, have you ever seen any believer do that? You'll all of a sudden say, where's, uh, where's so-and-so? Where's that one? Well, you know, they're going through tough times. Yeah, they ought to be here more than ever. This is a place you can be built up. Well, it's really tough. They thought they'd just drop out of church for a year and then decide whether they'll go. No, your faith is short-lived. Gone. Saving faith is not a short-term run. It perseveres to the end. It may sin. It may fall. It may make wrong choices. But it never throws in the towel. Because the Spirit of God keeps wooing, changing, and there's something in that new heart and that new disposition he put in the new birth, that seed he put in you. You cannot enjoy sin. I had a uh, dear woman tell me this week about a brother of ours that's in uh, deep sin now. And she shared these words, says, well, when I talk to him, he's very depressed. I said, hallelujah. Thank God. Increase it, Lord. Godly sorrow produces repentance. That leads to deliverance. 2 Corinthians 7.10. God increased the sorrow on those who are backslidden. Increase the way of a transgressor's heart. Oh, God, don't make it easy for them to backslide. Make them miserable. Make them miserable. Thank God he makes you miserable when you're not pursuing him. Anyone ever been miserable because you wanted to do your own thing? Sure. Wasn't it a blessed thing now that you look back? God was just saying, you need me. Come back. I would just uh, say this. I want to just show you Hebrews 3, and then we'll. If I had time, I was going to do Hebrews 6. That's the great one that everybody loves. And that's a whole sermon. So far, I've found four views, and uh, I'm not sure if any of them are right, but th there's at least four views I've found. Uh, don't ask me mine. I'm still working on it. Look at uh, Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. Congregation, read with me. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. What if I don't hold on? We have no confidence you're saved. You must hold on. Those who are saved will hold on. Verse 14. We have come to share in Christ. We have come to share in Christ. Read with me. If we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. You see, saving faith is a persevering faith. 
It doesn't ever stop believing. It keeps on. And so the reformers said, not with Rome that can excommunicate you, not with Rome and Lutheranism that says you can lose it, not with Wesley. They said, no, those whom God has truly chosen, predestined, called, justified, and given a new birth and inscribed in the palm of his hands, no matter thick and thin, ups and downs, failures, sin, adultery, divorces, uh, jail, no matter all the ups and them downs. I, I, I play a, a black spiritual album, the Canton Spirituals, and one, one of the numbers on it is, I got to clean up what I messed up. And you can do a whole lot of messing up, even as a Christian. That's not what will lose you. It's stopping a faith that will not continue is not the gift of faith. God has put a seed in you that has to have him. It's like when we sin, we fall going toward him, not wanting to go away from him, even in our worst day. Listen to Spurgeon. Thou alone has power, I know, to save a wretch like me. To whom or whither shall I go if I should run from thee? And now his prayer. But I now do from my very soul call upon thy name. Trembling yet believing, I cast myself wholly upon thee, O Lord. I trust the blood and righteousness of thy dear Son. Lord, save me tonight for Jesus' sake. Listen to what Isaac wants. I love the second line. Engraved as in eternal brass, the mighty promise shines. Nor can the powers of darkness erase those everlasting lines. His very word of grace is strong as that which built the skies. The voice that rolls the stars along speaks all the promises. Listen to Doldridge. Grace first inscribed my name in God's eternal book. T'was grace that gave me to the Lamb who all my sorrows took. Grace taught my soul to pray and pardoning love to know Twas grace that kept me to this day and will not let me go. This is one of my favorite lines. Listen, if thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, payment God cannot twice demand, first at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. Jesus paid it all. He's paid for everything that could possibly keep you out of heaven. And besides that, he's given you the gift of eternal life, the very seed of God in you. He changes your heart. And the reason some of you are miserable is you've got a form of godliness, but you don't know him yet. When he comes in, joy will be gusted brought in your heart as though Absalom was eating the honey. Your face will light up. You'll forgive people you never thought you could forgive, and you'll love things you never thought you could love because of a new birth. Romans chapter 8, such an amazing chapter, isn't it? So full of hope and encouragement for us as believers in Christ. This is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard, our teacher and pastor here on the broadcast. To conclude our time together today, we would leave you with our contact information. For a copy of today's program or the series, ask for it by name, Life in Christ. Simply call or write to us. 
Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, that's 855-833-9864. For a copy of today's program, simply mention today's date. If you would like the set today's program was taken from, ask for it by name, Life in the Spirit. And for a gift of $15 or more, we'll send a copy your way. Now, if you would like the entire eight-set, 47-sermon series out of Romans, for a gift of $100 or more, we'll send that to you as well. And that's the complete series on Romans. Again, 47 sermons. And please bear in mind that your donations are tax-deductible, and they allow us to continue the ministry here on KFAX. In fact, as a TFT supporter or sustainer, we'll also include a quarterly newsletter for you a once-a-year special gift, and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil, the weekly devotional audio video that we have available as well. Again, that's for our TFT sustainers. Ask for that when you contact us, 855-833-9864. Or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. For more information about us or Valley Bible Church, simply visit our website, valleybible.org. And we'd love to hear from you. Again, as always, as a sustainer of the program, as a partner with us, you're enabling us to continue the ministry of the gospel here on this radio station. And no gift is too small or too large. Please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time as we continue our studies here in God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you as you make Jesus Christ your truth for today. Today.